The Bible reading for today is Galatians chapter 5, verses 20, verse 26 to chapter 6, verse 18. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a, in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfil the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised, that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Well, uh, keep your Bibles open or that reading uh, in your bulletin. Well, uh, who knows the story of Apollo 13? A few people might be familiar, might have seen the movie. Uh, well, Apollo 13 was a, supposed to be a moon landing mission, uh, but shortly after takeoff, an oxygen tank exploded and uh, it, it uh, limited their amount of fuel, it limited the amount of oxygen they had to breathe and it damaged their navigational equipment. And uh, to get these astronauts home, uh, NASA made a last-ditch effort 
to kind of slingshot around the back of the moon and back to Earth. Uh, but with their navigational equipment down, they had to burn their rockets for the exact right amount of time. If they went a little bit too long, they would enter the Earth's atmosphere and too, too head on and burn up. If they cut off the rockets a little bit too early, they would miss the Earth altogether. See, getting it wrong, even by a tiny, tiny bit, was an incredibly big deal because at the end of the day, they wouldn't make it home. Now, I hope that you've loved our time in Galatians as much as I have. Uh, it's been really challenging, really encouraging, uh, really great to just hear the gospel again and again. And one of the things that's been really strong as we've gone through Galatians is that getting the gospel right is a really, really big deal. If we get it wrong, it might only look like it's slightly different, but actually we'll completely miss the target altogether. See, if you think that the gospel is about you, is about you earning your way to God, is about you doing what you can to be good and make God happy with you and accept you, then you've actually abandoned Jesus. You've abandoned the gospel and you're still under God's curse. You will miss the target altogether. But we've been reminded, haven't we, in Galatians, the gospel isn't about you or about me. The gospel is about Jesus. And that Jesus is the one who's been good enough on our behalf. He's the one who is righteous for us and he clothes us in his righteousness. And so becoming one of God's children and staying one of God's children isn't about our effort, isn't about us being good or pleasing God. It's all about just trusting what Jesus has already done. And that's the best news ever. There is no other gospel, we've been reminded. Now, if we get the gospel wrong, of course, there are those eternal consequences. But there are also consequences now, aren't there? And we've seen over the past weeks how the true gospel brings us freedom. Freedom from slavery to the law. Freedom from slavery to trying to have to live a perfect life that we can never live. And it brings freedom from our own flesh. As God's Spirit comes in and works in us and gives us new desires, it gives us the freedom to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. But here today, as we get to the very end of the book, we see that actually the gospel frees us from another slavery. It is still a sin, but particularly it's the slavery of pride. See, when we think it's all about ourself, when our focus is what I do to make myself right with God or not, then pride becomes a big issue. Have a look back, and for those who've got your Bibles open, just jump back two verses into chapter 5, verse 25. Uh, as that last section finishes, Paul says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. See, Paul's saying, since we live by the Spirit and not by the flesh, not by our own natural desires and inclinations... Well, since we live by what Jesus has done, then we have nothing to be conceited or boastful about. And since we all have righteousness based on what Jesus has done, we have nothing to be envious about. 
as we look at our brothers and sisters in Christ, we shouldn't envy them for, for, well, he's more righteous or holy or whatever than I am. Because actually it's not about them and it's not about me. Since our righteousness comes from Jesus, uh, we have nothing to be proud about. Verse 3, have a look as we just sort of skim through this passage and see the way that this language of pride really kind of saturates it. Verse 3, if anyone thinks they are something when they're not, they deceive themselves. Verse 4, each one should test their own actions, then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. Verse 12, those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. Verse 13, they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision. And verse 14, Paul says, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, when we recognise that being right with God is not about ourselves, that the gospel is about Jesus, we realise that we have nothing to rely on or boast about except for what Jesus has done for us. And that transforms the way we think about ourselves and others. So we stop looking down on people who we, we used to look down on and think we were more righteous or holy or good than them. We stop envying others who we think are more righteous or holy because we realise that's not how it works. When we, become re- when we realise that Jesus is our only boast, well, it transforms our church. Well, we're going to look at three ways where we see that the church is transformed. Uh, we're going to focus a little bit more on the first and kind of skim through the last two. So in our passage today, the three ways, firstly, discipleship is transformed. The life of following Jesus and growing more like him is transformed. Second, serving is transformed. And thirdly, public engagement, the way we relate to the world around us, is transformed when Jesus is our only boast. So first, when Jesus is our only boast, discipleship is transformed. Verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Now the first way that it's transformed is that we recognise that we all sin, don't we? Remember, it's not about us, it's about Jesus. He saved us. We all sin. That's just normal and everyday life as a Christian. And we all need pointing back to Jesus, back to faith, back to repentance. That is normal every day for the Christian. And so when Jesus is our only boast, this is transformed. But let's just clear up a few little things here in these verses. Well, first, who is someone who is caught up in a sin? Who is that? Well, someone who's caught in a sin is quite simply any believer who is sinning. In the context, we're talking about the church, aren't we? We're talking about Christians here. Uh, And I think a lot of the time people talk about this like it's a particular kind of sin. You know, being, well, sinning is sinning, but being caught up in a sin, well, that's kind of an, an ongoing Uh, a continual kind of repetitive or deep-set sin. You know, that's that kind of sin. 
Um, but actually, if you think about it, if you wait till a sin is ongoing and repetitive and deep set, how much harder is it to restore that person out of it? You know it in your own life, don't you? The longer you persist in sin, the harder it is uh, to, to repent of it and nip it in the bud. See, the reality is, when we come to realise the truth of the gospel, we come to realise that any sin, even the most kind of pedestrian and normal and harmless sin, uh, seeming, seemingly harmless sin, is actually really deadly. Any time that we sin, we actually are caught by it because we're returning to slavery, to our sinful desires, as we saw last week. So you think about a, a fish. When I'm fishing, I don't have much luck, but a fish that has just bitten the hook and has, been, you know, has just been on that hook for a second is every bit as much caught as a fish that's been on a hook for the last 20 minutes. See, it doesn't matter how long we've been sinning, we're still caught by sin just the same when we're sinning. And we all know that a very, very small hook can catch a very big fish. Not for me. See, we need to recognise that any believer who is sinning is caught in sin and needs to be restored. Second uh, thing to notice here is that the purpose is restoration. Verse 1, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. See, our goal as we approach a brother and sister in sin is to restore. It's not to punish it's not to demoralise, it's not to tear down, it's not to humiliate or embarrass or to guilt them or shame them, but it's to encourage them back to Jesus. So it's to, to help them see this is slavery, come back to freedom, come back to keeping in step with the Spirit. The goal, the purpose is restoration. And the third thing to notice or third thing to ask is, well, who should restore? Who's to do this? Well, you should do this. Have a look. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. You. Because you're a Christian, you live by the Spirit, so you, as you see your brother and sister caught in sin, you are the person then who has the responsibility to gently call them back to God, call them out of sin and back to Jesus. See, I think a lot of the time in churches, we think that that's the job of the pastor or, or the leadership team. But actually, no, it's the job of every single one of us. See, it transforms discipleship because we recognise that we are all equally sinful and in need of a saviour, that Jesus has done it all. And so it's the job for every Christian. And so restoring each other is an everyday part of discipleship, just in the same way that sin is an everyday part of being alive. You should restore anyone caught in sin. And the next thing we notice is that restoration 
is gentle. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Not brutal, not harshly, not aggressively, but gently. We'll come back to this one, spend a bit more time on it in a minute. But the last thing I just want to point out here from uh, these verses is that restoration is dangerous. Verse 1, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. See, there are many temptations, aren't there, as we see a brother or sister in sin. Uh, It may be that that is a sin that we are particularly tempted by. We might be in danger of following them. Uh, We might even steer them away and then dive in ourselves. Uh, That happens, doesn't it? But often, I think, we're tempted to different sins. Often, as we see a brother or sister in sin, we can be tempted, perhaps, to jealousy. I don't know if you've ever felt that, like, oh, they, went, they got to go off and, you know, sow the wild seeds or whatever they call it in the Amish community and, you know, they got to go off and indulge in the flesh a little bit and then they get off scot-free because they come back and they're forgiven and oh, I kind of would have really liked to have gone off and whatever, done my own thing for a little while. See, often that's, that's a sin that we can fall into, isn't it? That jealousy that they got to go and have some fun and get away with it. Uh, and we've forgotten the gospel, of course, at that point, haven't we? But also the danger of pride. There's that danger that we can look down on them and judge them and, and puff ourselves up of, oh, well, I'm glad I'm not in sin like that. So here Paul says we need to watch ourselves because we can just as easily fall into sin when we are trying to help someone out of it. Restoration is dangerous. All right, so now we've sort of cleared up a few of those points. Well, how is discipleship transformed by having Jesus as our only boast? Well, first, we recognise that we all get caught in sin and we all need restoring. I remember uh, being at a conference once and I heard this illustration that, uh, it's, it's a little bit like a joke really, but I'm just not that funny. So uh, there was an old man and a young man and there were... You know, they were members of the church and they were on their way to another uh, bloke's house uh, because he'd, he'd been sinning and they were on their way to restore him, to rebuke him, to, to call him out of sin. And as they're on the way, you know, they're, they're walking uh, and the older man says to the younger man, well, what do you think about what Glenn did? And the younger man replies, he goes, oh, it's just terrible. I, I can't believe he did that. You know, it's just it's a terrible sin, you know. It's, I, I could never have done what he did. And the older man was quiet for a moment and said, well, I think you better turn around and go home. See, there's a reality, isn't there, that we, we, can, approach, we can approach discipleship, we can approach our brother and sister like this, can't we? With this idea that that's them, they're in sin, but I'm not like that. I'm different somehow. But when we realise the, go- the truth of the gospel, that's all about Jesus and not about me, when we realise that Jesus is the only thing to boast in, not our own righteousness or goodness or sinlessness, 
that we imagine, then we approach each other in a totally different way, don't we? We don't approach thinking, I can't believe you did that, I could never have done that. We approach our brother and sister with compassion, thinking, but for the grace of God, that easily could have been me. And it has been me on so many occasions because I stumble in sin myself all the time. Now, I don't know about you, but I actually catch myself thinking those exact words of that young man all the time. And often with my kids, I often catch myself in my head going, why is he like this? You know, why does he do this? It doesn't make any sense. And then I catch myself going, the irony of that is that I'm his parent and I have done and continue to do the exact same things. Because sin, we all sin. We all struggle. We all do ridiculously stupid things, even when we should know better. See, at that moment, we've actually forgotten the gospel, haven't we? At that moment, when we think those thoughts, we judge those people, we've forgotten the gospel. We've forgotten that Jesus is our only boast. And, you know, if we think the gospel is about us, if we think that righteousness is about us, we think we have something to boast in, we either fall into one of two errors. We either see our brothers and sisters sinning and we either treat it on the one hand with arrogance, as we've mentioned, or on the other hand with apathy. And they're actually two sides of the same coin. See, either we will think that we're above them and look down on them, or because we think that our righteousness is about how righteous I am, we'll think that we have no place to go and talk to another Christian about their sin because I'm too sinful myself. Now, someone else more righteous than me needs to go and do that because I'm not qualified. You see, in both those instances, we've forgot about who the gospel is about. It's about Jesus and not about me. And see, the apathy has the same consequence as arrogance, doesn't it? We abandon that person's their sin. We don't restore them. We leave them caught and trapped. But when we recognise that all of us are plagued by sinful nature, when we realise the full weight and load of our own forgiven sin, we see there in verse 5, when we're aware of our own urgent need daily for grace and forgiveness and restoration, then we can approach someone with compassion, with love, with hope and good news that there is forgiveness. And it makes a totally different, it sends a totally different message, doesn't it? It doesn't send the message that people are worthless or unacceptable. It doesn't send the message that, man, you just need to try harder. Why do you keep doing this? You just need to buckle up and get over it. No, instead we send the message that Jesus has covered their sin and there's full and free forgiveness. We send the message that if they stay in sin, they're they're going back to slavery. If they come back to Jesus, they come back to freedom to be able to say no. When Jesus is our only boast, discipleship is transformed. So before we move on to our next point just want to ask a little diagnostic here. Ask yourself a few questions. How do I go, how do you go with responding to others' sins? 
your friends, when you see other Christian friends who are caught in sin, how do you respond? Your spouse, when you see your spouse caught in sin, how do you respond? Your kids, do you respond with any harshness, with any arrogance, with any judgment? Do you respond with apathy? Well, let me restore you this morning. Remember, we are all sinful. We all need Jesus' righteousness because none of us is righteous on our own. Let us come to Jesus for forgiveness, for this sin of arrogance and apathy and pride. Let us love one another the way that Christ has called us to. When Jesus is our only boast, discipleship is transformed. How great to see our church really transformed in that way. Secondly, when Jesus is our only boast, serving is transformed. Have a look at verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Now, is there anyone here who's taken their hobby and turned it into their career? Any hands? Here's, oh, we've got a couple. Yeah, a few. Uh, what, what happens when you take a hobby and turn it into a career? You might know this. It's not a hobby anymore. It becomes a chore, doesn't it? I mean, sure, you might still enjoy it more than other things, but there's something that happens when we take a hobby and we turn it into a career. It becomes a chore. Now, I love, uh, I love bikes and cars and um, trucks. I love pretty much anything with engines, particularly the older the better. Uh, and I love tinkering. Uh, now, if I, if I have a project on the go, which I usually have something, I'll happily strip a thing to pieces. I'll happily, you know, work away at spending hours and hours rebuilding an engine or stripping an entire body back to bare metal. I'll happily do that. But if I have to do an oil change in my car because the Ks are getting up, I hate it. It's a simple job. It's, it's, it's a half-hour job. It's easy. But because it's something I have to do, not something I can choose to do, suddenly it becomes a chore. Do you ever feel like that? You, you get that? Well, you know what? When we are trying to earn our way to God, when we think being right with God is about what we do, when we think that serving is a way to make God pleased with us, it's a chore, isn't it? It's hard work. There's not much joy in that when we're simply serving to make God happy with us. But when Jesus is our only boast, we realise that we're freed from this idea that we have to do stuff to make God pleased with us. We realise that serving is actually an incredible joy. We're not forced to serve, we choose to serve because it's a wonderful thing that we can do. It's not about me earning my righteousness, it's about me living out in step with the Spirit. Those new desires of loving my brothers and sisters, loving those around me, because God's Spirit is in me and is transforming me to love them. See, serving becomes a great joy when Jesus is our only boast. So why don't we stop and ask another little diagnostic? Have you become weary in doing good? 
has serving brothers and sisters, those in the community, has that become something that you do out of necessity because you have to, because you've committed to it, because you feel like you should or you need to, but something that is no longer a source of joy for you? It happens to all of us. Or are you serving out of the great privilege of being able to imitate our Saviour? Do you serve out of the great privilege of having God's Spirit in you, transforming you to love people around you? Do you serve out of the great privilege it is that God, the creator of the universe, is working on the most incredible project of all time, building his church, and he's choosing to use you and me, weak, fragile, messed up human individuals. He's using us to build this, his church. That's an incredible privilege. True freedom is in serving others and not ourselves. When Jesus is our only boast, serving is transformed. And finally, when Jesus is our only boast, the way we relate to the world around us is transformed. Have a look. Verse 12. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. There's nothing, I think, more pathetic than when the church of God so desperately wants to be accepted by the culture around it that the church begins to change to try and fit. The church begins to change doctrine to become more acceptable. See, I mean, Jesus has rescued us, we saw in chapter 1, from this evil age. This world that we live in is in darkness. It's in slavery. And God's brought us out of the darkness, out of slavery, into the light, into freedom. He's accepted us into his family. He's given us a home and a future and an inheritance. How pathetic it is to then try and go back into that culture and conform the church to that culture that Christ has redeemed us out of. See, there are, we've been reminded in Galatians, false disciples who get into Christ's church, who are determined to stay friends with this evil age, who are committed to having the praise and the acceptance of this culture that we live in. And they try and distort the gospel they try and distort Christ's church to make it less offensive and more acceptable to the world. Now, this isn't just a Western problem. Uh, it's, it happens in every culture. It's called uh, syncretism, where we kind of try and synchronise or mesh together or, or mould together the gospel and the culture we live in. But the thing is, the gospel is contrary to every culture every culture. The gospel clashes and offends every culture. 
See, when we're trying to boast in ourselves, we want praise and acceptance from those around us. But when we see Jesus and what he's done to rescue us out of this dark world, then our boast is in him and we won't feel the pressure to shape, to change, to distort so that the world will accept us. See, the irony is, isn't it, the more we try and change to be relevant with the world, the more we actually lose all relevance. Because if we're just sort of a, the world but with a little bit of a Christianese kind of language and culture around it, what good is that to someone in the world who's looking for something real, who's actually looking for God? If they can't find the distinctives of the gospel in the church, the church has no relevance whatsoever. Well, friends, getting the gospel right matters, doesn't it? It's not about us. And may we never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.